Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. And welcome to Crime and Spirits, your new favorite true crime and cocktail podcast. I'm your host, Bree. And I'm your other host, Suze. We're best friends who are obsessed with true crime, and we love a good-themed cocktail. So, we took our two favorite things and turned them into a podcast. Every Sunday, we release a new episode covering a different case or topic of interest. I'm the resident bartender here at Crime and Spirits, so every time we get together, I mix up a drink that ties into the episode in some way, shape, or form, and then I teach you how to make one for yourself. That way, you can sip right along with us. We like to keep things conversational around here, so expect some tangents on occasion, as well as some cursing here and there. Think of us as a cross between Dateline and Girls' Night. So, come hang out with us every week while we learn a little something new together. We love to chat with you about whatever, really, but mostly true crime. You better buckle up, Buttercup. And sip tight. Let's get on with the show. Woo! Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Crime and Spirits. In case you don't know it already, my name is Bree. And I'm Suze. Thanks so much for taking some time out of your day to come hang out with us. We super appreciate you. Sure do. So I'm pretty excited to share one of our more recent reviews with you guys before we get started today. But before I do that, we wanted to say thank you for those of you who have interacted with the poll on our social media in response to our question about what kind of episodes do you like? Shorter? More parts, longer monster episodes. We appreciate your feedback. Yeah. And we're going to actually host those polls again in the Spotify Q&A section and once more on the Instagram story. Since it's part two, we figured why not? We'll do it again in case you missed it the first round. Mm -hmm. So just keep an eye out for that. And again, thank you for your feedback thus far. We really appreciate it. So far, we're getting a good idea of kind of where you guys sit. So... (laughs) We're getting a 50-50 vibe. I mean, one is like 53, and that works for me. Okay, slight upper hand there. I'll I'll take it. I'll take whatever I can get, honestly. (laughs) So thank you again, and just keep an eye out for that. Now back to the fun part. So our friends over at the Fuck My Work Life podcast left us a super sweet review. They said, quote, another addicting true crime pod. Can't wait to make my way through all episodes. (gasps) Oh, I, I just I can't. What a compliment. I love I they are basically our best fans on TikTok. <laughs> I know we're sort of new to it, but they like everything. They're always commenting. So yeah. we appreciate you guys. And Thank you so much. I have started listening to their podcast. It's pretty entertaining. I mean, who doesn't love something where you can kind of like vent about work or share oh, fun stories? I'm just telling you, hey guys, we have right? a lot of stories between us, <laughs> so hit, hit us up. Absolutely. Oh man, uh, we're definitely going to have to have a collab episode with them absolutely. one day. But in the meantime, you guys should go check them out if you haven't already. Once you're done here, stay put first. Yes, We've please. got a lot to get into today. Pretty please. <laughs> and so with that being said, let's just... Get right back into Let's the unsolved murder of six-year-old John Benet Ramsey. What a crazy case, am I right? Yes, I feel like everybody concurs because it's nobody has any answers for us. <laughs> I was telling one of my coworkers today; she had had asked what we were covering. I was like, "Oh, this week and last, we're doing John Benet," and she's older than us, so she was like, "Oh man, like 
immediately what do you think's going on so we spent like 20 minutes today just mm-hmm. talking about theory so i'm ready for this so in case you missed it last week we kind of just get into you know how john benet was discovered to be missing schloss murdered the odd ransom note that was left on the kitchen staircase and of course the initial stages of the investigation from the very moment boulder police department arrived at the ramsey's house that morning everything was instantly that's one way of putting it yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) nobody secured a crime scene nor was a thorough search conducted there were literally just random people everywhere in this house largely because the ramses invited family members and close friends to a literal crime scene a detective personally asked john to conduct a search with his homie from top to bottom by themselves unattended Nobody That's, was watching them. I don't like that. I didn't like it last week. I don't like it now. <laughs> I like it even less now, <laughs> right. to be honest. The cherry on top, the Ramsey's behavior. It was incredibly odd and incredibly suspicious that John and Patsy would rather go on national television to share their story rather than speak with and aid the police. And the point we left off last week was when John Monet's parents became law enforcement's number one suspect. Mm-hmm. So this week, we're going to dive into the allegations against John and Patsy Ramsey themselves, the still currently ongoing investigation, and all of the different theories as of what to could have happened to John Bidet that night, because no one actually knows. We literally have no idea. Mm-hmm. So the only true facts in this case come from the autopsy report which gives us a good insight into how she died. This case will involve the discussion about violence and strangulation against a child. We'd also like to mention that there will be discussion regarding alleged sexual abuse against a child. There is nothing officially definitively that says that these kind of things 100% actually occurred. But that being said, there is a lot of evidence that heavily suggests that some kind of acts in that realm did occur. So this is your official heads up before we get into things. If this is not your jam, we get it. We'll catch you next time. See you next week. Mm -hmm. There is one thing I would like to say before we go further. Um, If you're not familiar with this case, just know there are a lot of conflicting reports about what did or did not happen to John Bonet, about the order in which it happened, about who was in charge of what, who saw what, who wrote what, all the things. And it's hard to nail down a timeline when the story changes every couple of years Mm -hmm. or when the people pushing the narrative are actively lying or hiding things. This is just one of those cases that's really well known in the true crime community, at least for our generation and above. And there is a stupid amount of conflicting information. So I just wanted to say that to you guys out there, you know, there might be some things that we got wrong. There might be some things that we missed. I urge you, if you're interested in this case, go watch the interviews for yourself. Read the news articles. Check this shit out. There's just a lot to sift through. And at the end of the day, we wanted to just bring you a cohesive story that is as factual as we can find, easy to follow. And at the end of the day, entertaining to listen. A little bit entertaining. Just a little. Yeah. So I thought I just wanted to kind of put it out there because we definitely had to trim some stuff. No, for sure. Because. There's also, it comes to a point where you have to wonder what sources it's coming from. Right. Who's saying this? There's so 
much to sift through. You guys don't even know. <laughs> Pretty much anything that wasn't backed up by like three to four sources mm -hmm. was just not included or had a bunch of question marks yep. next to it. So some of the stuff did get trimmed. There is a lot of information here, though. We are going to cover a lot. Absolutely. We did last week. We will this week, too. We basically compiled all of the what ifs and kind of went through and, and figured out what was the most common where sources did they come from? Mm -hmm. Things like that. And we threw in a couple of like random one off weird shit that is just interesting. So we've got lots for you. I yeah. just kind of wanted to put that out there before we get going, because I found myself going down so many rabbit holes that I had to physically remove myself from my office and have Mark take my phone away. Yeah. <laughs> because I just couldn't like stop. rein yourself in there. <laughs> and I just kept adding things to your notes and adding things. And I was like, mm -hmm. no, it, it just got to be too much. The notes were extensive. <laughs> As I'm they were. <laughs> Absolutely. They were already 15 pages. I think I added like four myself. Right? Oh, no. <laughs> so we definitely need a drink. There's yes. going to be a lot to get through today. This drink's looking mighty fine. And it does look really I good. I have to, to say. Can't wait to try it. So in the name of reusing and recycling, I thought this week we could use some ingredients from last week. You know, I like to do that every once in a while. Plus, that vodka was so good. It's so... If you guys have not checked out Faber, I know we sound You're like fangirls, but like, ah, go buy it. <laughs> Just do it. Um, so we're keeping the Chambord. We're keeping the Raspberry Faber Vodka. Um, you can use whatever vodka you'd like. But again, I highly recommend checking them out if you have not already. Honestly, um, it's so good. It is. It's very smooth and it's at a great price point. So I'm loving it even more. <laughs> Love a good sale. Right. Um, we're also adding a little bit of simple syrup, some half and half and some fresh raspberries this week. This recipe is actually one that I found on Driscoll's website. Um, I was sort of at a loss as far as drinks go this week. It does happen from time to time. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I don't know. I wanted to keep something to tie it into last week's cocktail. Um, so I Googled it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> what can we I make are. with raspberries or Chambord or whatever? Mm. Um, so Driscoll's actually is a brand that I'm familiar with. They grow the strawberries that come to my day job. I was just going to say. Which we use extensively. Why does that? That's why that They have the cute familiar. label with the little farmer in the field. Yep. Yep. Because we also buy those strawberries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They apparently have a bunch of different types of varieties berries that they source and sell um their website actually has a lot of cool recipes mm. if you want desserts i didn't know they had cocktails so i was like super stoked when i was like yeah Frick yeah there's a cocktail <laughs> recipe so this is the raspberry dream it comes Ooh. directly from driscoll's website um so the company, I guess, began in 1904. Ed Ryder and Dick Driscoll began growing their signature strawberry, which was the Sweet Briar variety, a.k.a. the Banner variety, Ooh. in the Pajaro Valley in California. In 1950, Driscoll Strawberry Associates, Inc. was founded selling premium fresh California strawberries. And in 1958, the first patented strawberry variety, the Z5A. Ooh, so fancy extended the season and allowed um strawberries to be shipped long distances so this is basically what established them as the fresh berry leader long story short they're the go-to for berries huh. they have blueberries blackberries raspberries some berries that i was like say word what are these <laughs> but again if you go to their website they have a lot of information huh so i never would have thought 
Yeah. Come to find out. It's a beautiful website. It's very well <laughs> set up. I was incredibly impressed. <laughs> I'm going to have to check it out. Google it. <laughs> so it turns out raspberries are not only delicious, but also kind of good for you. One cup of fresh raspberries has eight grams of fiber. Oh. Which if you need to stay regular, has some raspberries. <laughs> um, they're also a rich source of vitamin C and manganese, but otherwise they don't have a lot of micronutrients. Mm. They just help you poop. Um, they I mean, are, that is important. That is daily. Um, <laughs> raspberries are, however, a low glycemic index food. Their total oh. sugar content is about 4% and there's no starch. So oh. that's good yeah. to know. Um, they are 86% water, 12% carbs, and have about 1% each of protein and fat. I like them because they're good, but... <laughs> Mark also really enjoys... The more you know. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. It turns out, uh, as of 2020, the USA was fifth on the list in raspberry production. Um, Russia is at the top. Oh, we... I was like, I didn't know they could grow raspberries, but hmm. fun surprise, they can. Apparently very well. Because <laughs> they measure it in tons, so... Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. All right, so... Now that we have all that useless knowledge in our, our history brains, lesson is in the books. Let's make a drink. So to start with, take your empty cocktail shaker, add four to five raspberries in slow-mo, throw a couple on the floor, whatever floats your boat. <laughs> um, I modeled them up a little bit first, and then I added one ounce of the Faber raspberry vodka and two ounces of the Chambord, muddled it again a little bit just to get everything nice and mixed up. So the original recipe called for one tablespoon of half and half. You can use whatever flavor you'd like if you want to. We're just using the plain old variety. And just so you know, one tablespoon is approximately half of an ounce. If you oh. want to measure it in ounces instead of tablespoons, mm. whatever blows your hair back. <laughs> um, we also added uh, one teaspoon of simple syrup. Again, this winds up being about a quarter of an ounce. Oh. If you want it sweeter, feel free. It really doesn't need it though, guys. So yeah, I wouldn't think that it pull would. the reins back a little bit with the chambord <laughs> and the vodka alone, mm -hmm. honestly. Yeah, because it's two ounces of Chambord. That is a lot of Chambord. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Um, so now that everything's in the shaker, add some ice, shake it up. We learned last week that anything with dairy or citrus should be shaken pretty heartily. So shake, shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it. Shake it like a balloon. Um, right. Mm -hmm. We put our martini glass in the freezer to chill and then pulled it out right before we poured the drink, rimmed it with some sugar because... Why not? Mm. Um, and then we strained it somewhat perilously <laughs> into the glass. We and did just fine. I don't know what she's talking well, about. Well, <laughs> the raspberry pulp tends to mush up the strainer. So yeah. just bear that in mind. It might not look elegant, but it tastes amazing. Mmm. That's really good. Okay, if you want it sweeter, I would suggest the sugar rim. Yeah. Because I don't think the cocktail itself would need it, but the sugar is kind of a nice additive. Mm -hmm. Brie had the realization that it looked like those cream savers from it back did. in the day. As she was making... Sort of what it tastes like. Absolutely that. When she was building it in the shaker, as soon as she put the half and half in there, I was like, man, this is taking me back to like 2005. Right? <laughs> I'm loving it. It's really it's good. It's so good. I like... I never really thought I would be into like creamy drinks. But so far, you've changed my mind. Also, it's just a little bit of cream. Yeah. <laughs> the rest this is booze. So, yay. 
<laughs> yay booze. We've had a week, so yes. definitely yay booze this and week. <laughs> what we're going to get into, we'll also need a drink for. Yay booze for that. Right. <laughs> so now that we've got our drinks ready and in hand, it's just time for a very quick word from one of our friends over at the PodMoth Network. Hey, podcast lovers. My name is Haley, and I run the Doe Identify podcast. I have been passionate about helping the unidentified get their names back ever since I found out I lived within miles of where Sherry Ann Jarvis, formerly known as the Walker County Jane Doe, was found. In my podcast, I tell the stories and provide information about unidentified people in hopes of reaching their loved ones and getting their names back. So come join me and help me advocate for these people. You never know, you could recognize someone's story. All right. Let's get into the thick of things. Oh, let's do it. (laughs) Now, when we last met, we were talking about how the police started looking at John and Patsy Ramsey in a new light, if you will. Their daughter was murdered inside their own home, and they did not agree to give formal interviews with the police until April 30th, the following year, 1997. That's... Four months. Crazy. Mm-hmm. You can say it. It's crazy. Also, let's keep in mind that they had already hired legal representation months prior. And that in and of itself doesn't really seem weird. But John hired himself a lawyer and then hired Patsy, her own lawyer. Interesting. It's almost like. Why would you need that? You're feeling guilty. I don't understand. Now, over the years, the Ramseys have accused law enforcement of approaching this case with a narrow lens, citing that they never really pursued any other options. And this is just not true. First off, local police were explicitly directed that, quote, the Ramseys be treated as victims, not suspects. And that came directly from the police chief at the time. Hmm. So from the beginning, you were treated as victims because... In the moment, that's what you were. Technically, you still are, allegedly. Mm-hmm. We'll let you decide. <laughs> Officers did spend time canvassing the neighborhood looking for suspicious people during the initial stages of investigation. They assumed, just like everybody else did, that an intruder was the one at fault. At one point on December 26, John and Patsy alluded to the idea of their housekeeper actually being responsible. She was interviewed along with several of John's business associates. By the time we fast forward to October of 1997, there were over 1,600 people listed in the Persons of Interest Index in this case. That is a fuck ton of people. (laughs) But they only focused on John and Patsy. Mm -hmm. Not those 1,600 other people. That's a large number. (laughs) And I also just love how they straight up they're like look for suspicious people why because it was a rich neighborhood in mm-hmm. colorado <laughs> in my head i think of like the home alone house that's 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 what i have replaced their home with me in my brain is the home alone that's house 100 not gonna lie accurate <laughs> so the errors made throughout the investigation have continued and probably will continue to complicate the case. These complications include, but are not limited to, the loss and contamination of critical evidence, the lack of experienced and technical staff on the investigation team, evidence being shared with the Ramsey family, which would not have been had things worked out a little differently, Mm -hmm. and of course, the delayed interviews with John and Patsy themselves. 
And let's not forget, by January 15, 1998, John Bonet's parents would no longer be willing to cooperate with the police at all unless they were given access to all of the evidence in this case. Why would you need that? Also, what? what kind of demand is that? You're withholding your assistance in the murder of your daughter? Patsy, Just curious. Were you the one that literally was like, I'm going to help police find who did this? Or was that the anti-anxiety drugs talking? I it's just very suspicious. I was literally, I was talking about that interview specifically because my coworker asked me and I was, I told her, you know, I have a completely different perspective of it now as an adult who also takes anti-anxiety medication. And I, I can't wait for us to get to the theory part because it kind of leads into my new my new theory of what I think happened. <laughs> I ha- I was firmly in the Burke did it camp and we'll get to all of that. But now I'm not sure. And there's a lot to get through. <laughs> oh, there sure is. So things were just so crazy that Lou Smith, a retired detective, came out of retirement just so he can assist the DA in solving this case. In May of 1998, he, along with some other members of the DA's office presented information to the Boulder Police Department that essentially concluded the evidence that was available did not point to the Ramseys at all. Now, they were ultimately unsuccessful in challenging the police department's belief that John and Patsy were responsible for their daughter's murder. There was a lot of tension and animosity between the police department and the district attorney's office. That is putting it mildly. Very much so. They were almost like fist fighting, I feel. Yeah. And (laughs) I find this particularly interesting because at the end of the day, every person involved here had the same goal. Find out who killed John Bonet. But law enforcement just couldn't get it together. And the governor of Colorado... Roy Romer, he had to get involved. The governor. What? That's like children. You're not behaving. So I'm going to step in and make choices for you. Yes. (laughs) That's it. It, It's incredibly frustrating because at the end of the day, who suffered here the most? Sean Benet. Still, again, you know. Like it's it's a re-victimization almost, Mm -hmm. in, in my opinion. So the governor decided to name a man named Michael Kane as a special prosecutor. And he charged this person with the task of initiating a grand jury. Sometime after this decision, both Lou Smith and Steve Thomas, he was a detective working the case from the very beginning, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. both resigned from their positions. Smith went back into retirement because he believed that the investigation had incompetently overlooked the intruder hypothesis. Thomas resigned because he felt as if the DA's office interfered with their investigation and ultimately fared, failed to support it properly. And you know what? I think both men have a valid That's, I Again, point. I can see both sides mm-hmm. here. Nobody's really wrong necessarily. No. It's just sad that that's the result we get. I just, I really, to be a fly on the wall, right? Like I would oh, love girl. to know ultimately why. Because I find this, We see this kind of behavior pattern now in political differences. At the end of the day, there's a lot of people on both sides of the spectrum. We want the same thing. Right. It's just our means of going about it are very different. Right. At the end of the day, the goal is the same. And I just am am fascinated by that aspect of how humans work and seeing this in a different kind of situation. I don't know. It was just wild. 
I don't, I'd like to think I would be working as hard as I could to find some resolution rather than being like, well, I quit because you did not take me seriously. I would like to think that as well. However, I know detective gives up a position. That's wild. I know myself well enough, though, that if it was to the point where I felt as if I was not being listened to and my hands were tied and I was being prevented from doing my job, I could I could definitely see me being like, fuck this and walking away. Mm, (laughs) Some days I'm like that at Starbucks. I'm like, make your own pumpkin spice. Telling you what? Yes. I feel that deep in my soul. I just found I don't know. I just found this really interesting. And I'm super curious what you guys think of it so you'll have to let us know again though human brains are something that i will never understand but i really want to know more about (laughs) hence why we're here and here we are (laughs) so in september of 1998 a grand jury was convened with the purpose of considering an indictment against the ramses the function of a grand jury in case you were wondering is to accuse persons who may be guilty of a crime, but at the same time acts as a shield against unfounded and oppressive prosecution. We did have to Google it because mm-hmm. what? I've heard grand jury, but I was like, oh, it's judges or something. No, I was actually really proud of myself because I thought I knew what it was. I had no idea. And I was correct. So oh, see, no, I had no idea. I get a gold star for the day. <laughs> so it's a means for lay citizens like you, me, Bree representative of the community itself to participate in the administration of justice. Traditionally, they consist of 23 jurors and are usually summoned months ahead of time. So a prosecutor or officer of the court draws up an indictment. And if the grand jury finds the accusations to be credible, they write upon the document the words a true bill. This essentially means go on ahead for bringing someone to trial. If the indictment is not proven to the satisfaction of the grand jury, the word ignoramus or not a true bill is written and the accusation is dismissed as unfounded. Fun fact, the potential defendant is said to have been no billed by the grand jury. No billed. I I know that the word ignoramus is a real word, obviously, but mm-hmm. I've never really seen it used outside the context of those little peg games at Cracker Barrel. Uh-huh. So, so I was I was like, wow. What an interesting fact. I was like, fact. that's the only reason that I know what that word is. Is that sad? Is that cool? I, I don't know. I'm so glad that I'm not the only one, though. <laughs> nope. It does make me want Cracker Barrel, though. I love Cracker Barrel. Hated working there. Love going there for breakfast. Um. Anyways, so 1999, the grand jury returned a true bill, effectively telling law enforcement to, chain, to charge the Ramses with, quote, placing the child at risk in a way that led to her death and with obstructing an investigation of murder. I mean, definitely ding, ding, ding on part two. Right. I'm still undecided on part one, but part two, yeah. And this was based on the probable cause standard that is applied in these kinds of proceedings. However, John and Patsy were not prosecuted. Hmm. DA Alex Hunter did not believe that they, he could meet their higher standard of probing their guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, which, as we know, is a requirement yeah. for a criminal conviction. Which I get because you technically only get one shot. Right. Because if you press the charges, you go to trial, they're found innocent, you can't do anything. Right. So I get it. Right. I do. Maybe. Afterwards, (laughs) the case went cold and the Ramses continued to defend themselves against any and every allegation thrown their way. Oh my God, there were so many. <laughs> John and Patsy Ramsey went as far as publishing a book in the year 2000. It was titled 
The Death of Innocent. John Bonet's parents tell their story. Ew. I mean, first of all, this poor girl is still just a means for them to get their limelight. Ew. Regardless of whether or not they were involved in her murder, you can't tell me that that's not, that was not her sole purpose on this earth. That girl was a prop from day one. Two, we had to expect this. They hired themselves a PR representative. There's just something about that that makes my skin feel like I need to bleach it off Please of my body. Tell me why. If you are now, I Susan and I are usually the first person to be like, if you are dealing with law enforcement, you should have a lawyer. But if you are a united front and your daughter was just taken from you in an incredibly horrific way in your home, how are you okay? Have a lawyer, but like two lawyers for each parent and a PR person within like weeks of her dying? Ah, uh, the things money can afford you. Why is that necessary? You have the money. Why is that even necessary? I, there's so many things in this case that just has me shaking my damn <laughs> head. Uh, so in December of 2002, Mary Lacey, who just happened to have the luck of being the next Boulder County DA, took over the investigation from local police. The following April, she formally agreed with a federal judge that the evidence in the case is, quote, more consistent with the theory that an intruder murdered John Bonet than it was with the theory that Mrs. Ramsey did, end quote. Would you guys be surprised to learn that the Ramseys and Miss Lacey were like buddy buddy throughout her tenure as the DA? Color me shocked. I'm stunned. The following December, forensic investigators were able to establish a DNA profile of the killer. Wonderful. They were able to extract enough material from a mixed blood sample found on John Bonet's underwear. We went over that last week. It was one of the few DNA samples really kind of mm -hmm. found as far as like blood or something like bodily fluids. Go. Well, and that could specifically be tied, I think, to the crime. Right. Uh, like the murder itself. Because right. like we discussed last week, everybody mom and dad had their fingerprints boot prints mm -hmm. butt prints all over that house <laughs> right. so like and they had staff the housekeepers coming mm -hmm. in and out things like that right these tests showed that the dna belonged to an unknown male so they ran each of the ramsey's dna against the sample which resulted in each of them being excluded from the suspect pool the DNA was then submitted to CODIS, a.k.a. the Combined DNA Index System. You know, I never knew what it meant. Oh, really? No. Oh, the more and you I know. I didn't want to Google it because I was like, what if it's something horrifying? But this, <laughs> this is fine. This is very interesting. I feel better that I know this. Well, and if, if you're not familiar, this is basically the big giant combined database. database of DNA throughout every jurisdiction in the country. I think the FBI is the one that put this together, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I don't, again, I didn't want to research it. What if it's something terrible? <laughs> I'm, I'm like 99% sure that the FBI put this together as part of their building of the database in the first place in regards to like serial killers and all that kind of stuff. Well, this I'm is like just one of those things. Getting that they, everybody on a page. Yep. Maybe the same in the same book, at least, you know. Unfortunately, though, there wasn't any sample match to any of the profiles in the database. So we didn't really get a whole lot from this D 
DNA extraction. I mean, it's there. It's in there. If if that person that matches does pop up, that's it true. will ding. But that's true. But very that's, clearly, this person does not want to be found. So. Oh, yeah, because that's some needle in a haystack shit yes. right there. Well, you never know. I mean, it's true. You're right. Crazier things have happened. We did catch Golden, the Golden State, State Killer. Mm-hmm. So. so this brings us up to 2006. A man named John Mark Carr confessed to murdering John Bonet. We'll get into the rest of it in a bit. But for now, we'll just tell you that he was eventually cleared. Because his DNA did not match. Um, that same year, Patsy actually passed away due to ovarian cancer. Which is very sad if you consider... I mean, it's sad regardless. But it's especially sad if you do consider her innocent in the situation. Because she, she didn't. never got any answers. Mm-hmm. That's the part that always breaks my heart mm-hmm. in cases that are unsolved. I am very unsure of where I stand in this. But... I, I do think it's sad that she had to spend her entire, the rest of her life after that defending herself. And if she is innocent at the end of the day, like the pain that had to have gone with all of that, it's sad. And not to mention she was dealing with cancer for a long time yes. on and off in her life. Not so fun fact. I read literally today, apparently Patsy's parents were assholes mm. and Patsy was the golden child. So when she got her first diagnosis of cancer, again, this was Reddit, guys, so who knows how true this is. But apparently her father looked at Patsy's sister and was like, why couldn't it have been you? Ugh. So keep that nugget of information tucked away as we continue on. Because yeah, that gives you a that, really good insight. Honestly, that that is some vital information to the story. If mm-hmm. true, right? that it would be explaining a lot. Yeah, I was going to say it definitely fits in things. Mm-hmm. For I sure. could see it. That's like a puzzle piece just went click. Mm-hmm. So on July 9th, 2007, the Boulder's DA office announced that the Ramsey family members were excluded as suspects in this case officially. This was due to some newly developed DNA sampling and testing techniques that exonerated the Ramseys. The latest in DNA technology at the time was touch DNA analysis, a.k.a. trace DNA. I was like, what? Well, I've heard this on, you know, Criminal Minds and SVU so much. So it was really kind of interesting to learn this. So if you're not familiar, trace DNA is a forensic method of analyzing DNA left behind at a crime scene. This method only requires seven or eight very small samples. And it should be noted, though, that this method has been criticized for its high rate of false positives. There is that. (laughs) Not so fun fact. This method of testing is actually more often utilized by the defense in this kind of situation to help exclude a suspect rather than the prosecution to like nail a suspect down. Yeah. So do with that information what you will. Just keep it in the back of your brain. (laughs) Mary Lucy. Mary. Mary Lacey. Yeah. Whoops. Mary Lacey. (laughs) Who named her that? First of all. She made an announcement to the media that publicly stated the exoneration of John and Patsy, as well as sending them a former form, formal letter of apology. My words won't work today, guys. Sorry. Words are hard. <laughs> this did not, however, change the perspective of the public, and many people remain suspicious. I do remember they look like fugitives from the law, even after they were like officially exonerated. There's something- Because people were just like, you're wrong it's well, all a lie and i mean i'm sure you guys are starting to get a sense for kind of where we're going with this i mean there is not a single thing i would say that definitively points to one of the possible theories 
Mm-mm. I think that there is something about every single one within reason, for most of them <laughs> that makes it plausible. I just, I, I wish you guys are going to have to watch the videos and stuff like that. You've got to see their behavior because that's what it is. It makes me uncomfortable physically to watch their reactions to things. Right. Like another, somebody, um, made a really good point on one of the posts. They talked about the way that um, Patsy reacted on the 911 call. So allegedly she had just seen this note for the first time. Your daughter's been kidnapped. We're going to kill her if you call police. So the first thing you do is call the police and you don't warn them that your daughter might die if they show up. Right. And not only do you do that, but you also call family and friends and you make it a whole affair. Right. I don't know. It was like a potluck dinner over at their house and they're giving away free beer or something. People were in and out and in and out. It's just weird to me. And it doesn't get any less weird as we move forward. (laughs) So there were a lot of law enforcement officials who condemned the total absolution of the Ramseys. In 2015, Chief Mark Beckner said that, quote, exonerating anyone based on a small piece of evidence that has not yet been proven to even be connected to the crime is absurd end quote absurd <laughs> absurd to drop the absurd it is absurd though um the next year gordon coombs a former investigator for the boulder county da's office also questioned the decision to exonerate the ramses he said quote we all shed dna all the time within our skin cells it can be deposited anywhere at any time for various reasons reasons that are benign To clear somebody just on the premise of touch DNA, especially when you have a situation where the crime scene wasn't secure at the beginning, really is a stretch, end quote. He's not wrong. Valid point, sir. (laughs) Uh, Stephen E. Pitt, who is a forensic psychiatrist who was hired by Boulder authorities, said, quote, Lacey's public exoneration of the Ramseys was a big slap in the face to Chief Beckner and the core group of detectives who have been working on this case for years. End quote. Again, mm-hmm. check. <laughs> Checkmate. Right, it's completely valid. You're not wrong. Uh, and the skin cell thing, I think, is super interesting and also really valid because we were, again, just talking about this. I don't know if I let you guys know this yet, but I've recently been diagnosed with a very severe dust allergy. Turns out that dust is basically just made up of our skin particles a and all that of kind them. of stuff. Mm-hmm. Because yesterday at work, one of my coworkers was like, or maybe it was Mark. And they're like, well, now you can like, this is as close to being allergic to people as you can get. And I busted out laughing. Quite literally. So now like, that's all I can think of. (laughs) Put it on a (laughs) t-shirt. Done. No, that's accurate though. But you Mm -hmm. could brush up against something and leave them. And again, with all those people hot footing in and out. Yeah. You don't know. You don't know. I, I do think that it was maybe irresponsible might be too strong of a word, but that's kind of how I feel about it. So that's where we're gonna go with. Now, in 2009, early 2009, the Boulder police chief announced that they were being handed control of the case and that the investigation would be resuming ASAP. The urgency stemmed from the fact that the statute of limitations on the crimes from the original true bill had expired. But unfortunately, it didn't really do much because despite this, a new review of the case against the Ramseys was not undertaken at this time. In October of 2010, the case was officially reopened. A committee of state and federal investigators came together and a fresh inquiry into John Binet's murder began. Ultimately, 
This committee mostly conducted new interviews that yielded zero new information. Literally nothing. Six years later, a report said that more sensitive techniques were applied and revealed the genetic markers for two individuals in addition to Jean Bonnet. James Soler, a lead investigator for the DA's office, said that additional traces of male DNA were found on the cord and the paintbrush that was used in Jean Bonnet's death. He claims that there were six separate DNA samples belonging to unknown individuals found by the tests. So now you're telling me there was six different people involved in this thing? Is that what he's trying to tell me? Who all got into the house unnoticed and then murdered somebody, wrote a ransom note, and got out unnoticed? A 20-minute long ransom note, by the way. I just have a lot of questions. So that brings us to Candace DeLong, you know, your girl's favorite (laughs) former FBI profiler. I love her. She's on Deadly Women. I would love to have coffee with her. I find her so interesting. No, I agree. She's she's always like, she's got the best like one liners. Mm -hmm. She's like, she was dressed to kill. (laughs) It gets me every time. The look and the conviction on her face is just perfection. (laughs) Well, she knows her shit, so I can't argue with it. Um, She does, however, believe that the DNA belongs to the killer. And points to the fact that this DNA has shown up identically in several different places on multiple surfaces for this reasoning, which makes sense. Yeah, 100%. So let's get into some theories, shall we? Uh, Yes. Now we're going to break these down kind of point by point, and we're going to start with the Ramsey family. There were many allegations made over the years, but what sticks out to me are the ones regarding the family dynamics before John Bonet's death, because I think that's where we can get a really good look mm-hmm. at what, if they were in fact responsible, how we got to this point, I guess. The life behind the picture yeah. was not perfect. Yeah. That was my yeah, best Candace. giving <laughs> Candace a run for her money. <laughs> so, you know what I've always found so odd about this case? And I think I mentioned it super briefly, but it's the fact that they made such a big deal about Jean Benet being in pageants, but yet pageantry wasn't a part of her death in any way. And it got me thinking, could it be that Patsy was kind of that stereotypical pageant mom? There was a lot of things that kind of went down, allegedly, that to me is really weird for a six-year-old. Like, she, Patsy bleached John Bonet's hair mm, and allegedly had her sleeping in rollers most nights. That I could see that. They would put heavy makeup on her for any event, not just pageants. If they went to a, if they went out of that house, she was dolled up to a T. So I always wondered, and I think I mentioned it last week, after John Bonet was found, the only photos that you saw circulating the media were pageant pictures. Mm-hmm. Not a six-year-old girl opening presents on Christmas, not a six-year-old girl playing with play-doh or paints or, or Barbies. spending time with her brother or their family like N- none of it it was literally like glamour shots mm-hmm. which to me was just so off-putting because i was like this poor little girl like what did they do to you for one for the picture but for two like for everything else you I know a 34 year old adult woman and i hate having to like do all that kind of like it's fun and fine like i i enjoy getting dolled up but like i Once couldn't in a imagine while, but doing it every time i leave the house as a six-year-old though i would never sleep in rollers 
right? I'll tell you that right now. I considered it very briefly recently and I was like, mm, no, no, thanks. That sounds I'm gonna terrible. Stick to the breeds. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I want to mention is that there was a lot of like body shaming going on. So there was a comment one time made by, I can't remember who it was. I think the housekeeper, she was talking to John Bonet about something and she asked John Bonet if she liked McDonald's. And John Bonet's answer was, McDonald's makes you fat. Oh. You're six. When Maybe I was less six, than that. I was crushing those nuggies and playing with those <laughs> right? toys. Like, excuse well, you. And that was before they had apple slices as a choice. Right. I had some Long french fries. Before. <laughs> yeah. And like, Burke also struggled in his own way, allegedly. I guess there was one day where he asked his mom if he was fat. And Patsy, you know, was like, no, why would you say that? And he's like, well, why are they all falling over her? Oh, no. To John Bonet. Which, I mean, also makes sense. You can't have, like, pageants take up a lot of time. It's not just the day of. There's so much preparation that goes into them and so much work and practice and meeting with coaches and photographers and, like. Look at Dance Moms or Honey Boo Boo mm -hmm. or any of that kind of stuff. Look at all the fallout from that kind of situation. And I think this was before you could read everything on people.com slash Google it yeah. and find an answer. Even you know, like social so, media has yeah. brought so much shit to light because you can't escape it anymore. Right. If you're doing something shady, like it's going to come out eventually. But it's just it really makes you wonder what what was the dynamic between Burke and Jean Benet? Mm-hmm. Did he love his little sister? Was there resentment? He had his own behavioral problems that we'll get into in a hot second. Um. I mentioned the photographers like they both kids were often left with coaches and photographers very often. One of those one of those photographers was later arrested on child pornography charges. Ew. There is the bedwetting. Both children struggled with bedwetting and it was. That usually means a lot of stress. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And Patsy allegedly was not very patient when it came to this. Or kind. Or caring at all. How about sexualizing both children? So get this. I read a story from, I think it was the housekeeper, said that they were talking about Halloween costumes. She asked John Bonet what she was going to be. John Bonet goes, I'm going to be a good, sexy witch. She was four. Oh, no. Her mother walks in the room and says, yeah, she's going to be a sexy witch. Oh, no. She was four. I don't even want to be a sexy witch now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm way older than that. I just. And then apparently, too, there was another point in which Patsy's mom was actively talking to employees about the size of Burke's genitals. Oh, no. He was maybe seven or eight when this happened. I mean, he was nine when JonBenet passed. So. Like, what the fuck was going on in this house? Also, (laughs) you know what I mean? Why are we talking about children like that? Especially as their parents and their grandparents, like, icky poo-poo. And then here's the one that, I mean, they all really got me. But this one, like, this is what crossed me into, like, oh, no territory. (laughs) This is is crossing the biggest line you could cross. They basically let any adult help JonBenet in the bathroom. Like, help her wipe and take care of her hygiene in that moment. Yeah, no. What? That's literally a parent's job. Why would you allow any adult to do that? Not being a parent, I don't know. Because here's the thing. You, you know what that does? is It 
teaches that child that there is no boundaries and that strangers okay. can touch your body in the places where they should not be touching your body. And this is going to play a role later as well. Down the road. So according to Greg McCrary, a retired FBI profiler, quote, statistically, it's a 12 to 1 probability that it's a family member or a caregiver, end quote, who is involved in the homicide of a child, which makes sense. 12 to 1, though? When Those it's odd. A, when it's a husband or a wife, they always look at the spouse first. That's usually their number one suspect, right? I was thinking about that, too, when I was writing. I'm like, we always make jokes about the husband did it. but And this is one of those instances where... That's part of the reason, too. I think that Patsy and John, like, couldn't understand that part or they just refused to accept probably because they're guilty in some way that it's the natural thought process. Like, right. you, of course, you're going to be looked at. She died in your home when you I, were the only people there by your own admission. <laughs> right. It was you and your son. Right. So what happened? So. There was no evidence of a forced entry, so an intruder would seem unlikely in this situation. Additionally, there was some evidence of a stage scene, i.e. the ransom note itself. Um, also, the obvious tone of the Ramsey's less than cooperative behavior. Uh, the Ramsey's would later go on to say that their reluctance to cooperate was due to their fear that there would not be a full investigation into the intruder theory and that they would quickly be chosen as the key suspects in the case. Hmm. It's almost like it seems convenient for you. <laughs> in 1999, Colorado Governor Bill Owens once told the Ramseys, quote, quit hiding behind their attorneys, quit hiding behind their PR firm, end quote. I think he said it to a newspaper or something, mm -hmm. but he was like, this is directly to John and Patsy mm -hmm. Ramsey. Their that, PR firm. Right. What? Their fir firm, firm, not agent, firm. It was it came out at one point because. John tried to play it off as if the lawyers that they hired was like friends of theirs who they had went to for legal advice mm. kind of vibe. And then it mm. came out, I think, during their formal police interviews that they were they were directly asked, would you consider them more like personal friends or business associates? And he was like, well, I guess business associates. And I was like, well, no shit, because you are paying the man money to legally represent you. That's right. Dumbass. I don't understand. So the indictment from 1999 cited two counts each of child abuse and stated that the parents did, in fact, quote, unlawfully, knowingly, recklessly and feloniously permit a child to be unreasonably placed in a situation that posed a threat of injury to the child's life or health, which resulted in the death of John Benet Ramsey, a child under the age of 16, end quote. Woo. For a long time, the public believed that the grand jury investigation had actually been inconclusive, but it was revealed in October 2013 that that wasn't the case. And as we mentioned before, Alex Hunter, the DA at the time, refused to sign the indictment, stating that evidence was insufficient for prosecution. Fishy? Maybe. Perhaps. Do I trust it? Not no. anymore. So just some like uh, evidence that may or may not point to the family. We have fibers. Four fibers were found on the sticky side of the duct tape used to cover JonBenet's mouth. Yep. These fibers could only stick through direct contact and were found to be consistent with fibers from one of Patsy's jackets. So the intruder put on her jacket and then right. applied the duct tape. Okay. <laughs> um, additional fibers were found twisted in with the garrote, which was used around her neck. Right. 
Um, they were also found in the paint box that once held the brush that was used. Uh, and they were vacuumed up from the carpeting again, all from Patsy. So that was basically saying that there were these same fibers were found elsewhere in the house. That would make sense coming from Patsy. Right. That's how I took it, at least. That's they were consistent with her, but there was no reason they should be stuck on the sticky side of the duct tape. It is how I read it. Yep. Um, John's fibers from an expensive wool sweater were found on the inside of the crotch of John Bonet's panties. Right. May or may not happen from the dryer or washer. I don't know. But the theory here is that he must have brushed his forearm against her at some point when redressing her. Right. Either after an assault or after the murder or uh, at some point. Depending on which branch of the theory you're going on. Could be either one. So the ransom notes, right? Enough said. (laughs) But for real, though, they were determined to have been written in the house, like definitively. Absolutely. 100%. This is where it happened. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. This is where it occurred. Please give me $180,000. Right. Um, They were able to determine with certainty that it was Patsy's notepad and her Sharpie that was used. And there was also practice notes. And somebody made a really good point. I was talking to uh, one of my coworkers about this case. And they were like, what really always got me about it was that somebody, if it was an intruder, not only did they go and find the Sharpie and then they went and found the notepad, they also put both items back. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. I didn't even like think of that. And I was like, holy shit, because that's that's exactly what happened. Hmm. Right. Hmm. Crazy. And then also the paintbrush that was used came from Patsy's art supplies. These are all things that are obviously Patsy related. Because each there's kind of a theory that goes along with each member of the family, if you will. Yeah. And this is this is hers. (laughs) Yeah. So here's one theory. So Patsy was in a fit of rage after a bedwetting episode on John Bonet's part. She struck her daughter. She was just pissed. She believed that she had killed her daughter. So she then strangled her to cover up what had actually transpired. Now, Patsy did not have a known history of uncontrolled anger. And Burke would later go on the record saying, quote, we didn't get spanked. Nothing of the sort, nothing close, nothing near laying a finger on us, let alone killing your child, end quote. However, Patsy was known to be quite strict when it came to her children. She was described as, at any point, obsessive, overzealous, dramatic, and unable to control her temper. I, another thing, too, with Patsy, um, there, we briefly spoke about it last week, but there was damage to... John Bonet's genital area. Mm-hmm. And some of that damage was done to the hymen. Um, there is such a thing as like toilet, toileting abuse rage. Mm. And this is one of the theories that one of like the experts came up with. Um, said that it could be a possibility that she was so furious at John Bonet for wetting the bed in the first place that she was aggressively and violently cleaning her. <gasps> That's horrible. Yeah. Could you imagine? My thought process was just, if if this is what occurred, Mm -hmm. this is a family borderline obsessed with 
how they are perceived mm-hmm. by the outside world. Yeah. I know people like that. Yep. They're not pleasant people to be around. No, ma'am. And they will do whatever it takes to keep pushing that narrative forward that everything is rosy and wonderful. And this is a tragic accident. The veneer intact, if you will. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That was my thought. I did not know about the toilet training. That is alarming to me. Yeah. (laughs) But I do believe it. People are insane. So it definitely could fit. So then the, the next theory, obviously, is that John did it. So there were no footprints found in the snow around the Ramsey home. And this kind of points to it being someone inside the house that night. And according to John and Patsy, it was only them and their two kids in the home. So that's got to be somebody, right? So this theory says that John killed John Bonet when she was either interrupting him while he was abusing her or because she had seen him abusing Burke and tried to intervene. Then he went on to stage the scene to make it look like a botched kidnapping rather than the murder that it actually was. And if you think about it, too, in this perspective, John was the one who found John Bonet that night. In fact, he basically went right to her once given permission to search his own house. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just found that so incredibly odd. Like, I mean, how would you know? It it can be explained away as, okay, well, we're just going to start at the basement and work our way up. Or it could also be explained as you knew where she was because you went right. You didn't even check anywhere else in the basement first. You went right there. Right to the detective art was like, please go look. And you went, found her. She did say top to bottom, though. So you started bottom to top. Mm. It's just odd, right? And like once he found her, he carried her upstairs. He removed the tape from her mouth, covered her with a blanket. All sorts of shit that could essentially destroy vital evidence. Was it on purpose or was it just a panicked father who just found his dead child? Well, apparently never know. <laughs> um, it is widely believed that John Bonet was vaginally assaulted on the night of her death. It was not done by penetration from a penis. Like Bree said, it might could be that. Wiping. Yeah. Rage or whatever it was it, called. It wasn't like your toilet what, training rage. It wasn't. It was like toileting abuse rage or something. It was weird. I couldn't find much about it outside of this case, but apparently like it is a thing. Hmm. But yeah, I from the reports that I read, it specifically stated that it wasn't like. Abuse of the sexual nature likely happened, but it wasn't your traditional method Sport. of abuse, Ooh. if you will. Ooh. So Dr. John McCann, one of the nation's leading experts on child sexual abuse, agreed to assist in determining if John Bonet had been a victim of sexual abuse during or before her murder. He went on to determine that John Bonet did, in fact, check every indicator for chronic sexual abuse. John's DNA, however, has not been matched to the crime scene in this kind of in any real kind of way yeah. outside of that fiber. And like Sue said, a perfectly logical explanation would be the dryer. The washer, Unless, like, dryer, I would, whatever. He could have even just brushed upon it like when he's putting it in the drawer. I don't know. There's also been arguments that John's violent past was directed at other people, but never his own children. So, I mean, there really hasn't been a lot out there saying that he was a violent father in any kind of way. Right. So who really knows? And he also claims to not have a sexual attraction towards his children or towards children any in general children. which yeah any is, child in general hopefully the case because because and this is something too that i 
get frustrated about this case is because this gets swept under the rug a lot. People don't generally talk about the fact that something was happening to this girl. It might not have been sexual abuse, but something was happening to her. Right. Something that shouldn't have been. You don't, in, not to get like too graphic, but like your hymen doesn't get injured or like move, like breached in any kind of way. Like there's very specific things that like make it happen. And she's six. Right. It's not like she like fell on her bike and like hit a bar the right way, which that actually does happen to people. But like she was six. She was left alone with strange people constantly. I mean, a think lot. about how many parties the Ramses would go to. They were socialites. They probably were just like, okay, children, go play in the other room and I will see you in six hours. Right. Anything could have happened to them. We don't know. I also, care more. The bedwetting, too. That's a classic indicator that something else is going on. Well, and another little onion layer to the bedwetting in and of itself. Burke was having a lot of problems. And then all of a sudden, he started getting better when Patsy's attention was no longer on him. And she started getting Jean Bonnet into pageants. Interesting. So the timing of that, too, could it be that he grew out of it? Or is it because the stress wasn't there? <laughs> Which brings us to the last family member suspected of killing John Bonet, her nine-year-old brother, Burke. So Burke was interviewed by investigators at the time of his sister's death. It was not immediately, but it did occur on at least three separate interactions. Authorities publicly stated in both 1998 and 1999 that Burke was not a suspect and had never been considered one. That does not, however, change some people's perspective on the matter. I was somebody in this camp. Until a week ago. Yeah. And I mean, there's, the, again, there's some weight to this one as well. So the theory is Burke hit his sister in the head with a heavy object, perhaps the flashlight that was promptly and obviously placed in the kitchen. For no apparent reason. <laughs> they People think that, okay, so we know that she had a pineapple-like substance in her stomach. And we know that there was a picture of a bowl of pineapple on the counter from that night. Right. So the, what the theory is, is that Burke was the one who went downstairs and got himself some pineapple and tea. And then John Monet came down and stole some of his pineapple. Now it's unlikely that his intention was to kill her in this theory, but that he was mad at her for taking something that was his and reacted in a violent way. And if we are to believe all these allegations of what the house was like, that's completely plausible. I to was me. like, that might could be true. And this is usually backed up by the suspicions that Patsy was just way too involved with John Bonet and that she neglected Burke, which upset him, or he was also being abused in a different way. At the very least, these kids were neglected, yeah. which in and of itself is abuse. So something wrong was happening here it, in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> Right. Um, additionally, it's been reported that Burke struggled with some mental health issues and had previously shown some aggression towards his sister previously. Uh, there was an instance where he struck Jean Bonnet in the head with a golf club after getting angry at her. According to the family's housekeeper, again, Burke had a history of defecating in his sister's bed. Mm. I do not dislike anybody enough to defecate on <laughs> any of their stuff. <laughs> I don't get it. I, but again, when you're nine and you don't right. understand what's happening, 
Right. I'm not saying that's a normal reaction, but it's a reaction. <laughs> I It might not be normal, but I think it would be understandable uh-huh. considering. Given the situation. The situation. Right. And again, like we also don't know if that's true. Right. And like Brie mentioned previously, this theory does purport the suspicion that Burke was being abused by both one or both of his parents and that he actually killed John Bonet in retaliation for that, either because she was getting more attention or she took the limelight away or whatever it might could be. Mm-hmm. Again, it's all theory. And then this theory, of course, paints John and Patsy as guilty because they were the ones that covered everything up. They would have to be, yeah, active participants makes- in the cover up. For me, I feel like this theory makes the most sense to an extent in the, at least it did make the most sense to me because it explained both parents' reactions. Right. Well, and why they got so defensive and stonewalled everybody. And why they were adamant that sexual abuse did not happen. And, you know, all of these things that we saw in the aftermath of this, to me, that made the most sense. Like, why would Patsy spend... And 30 minutes writing a note because the note itself took 21 minutes to write approximately. That was at least the second draft. Right. So, I mean, it took longer than that. You're going to tell me that an intruder broke into the house, didn't make a single noise, woke up anybody in the home, did all of these things. uh, Yeah. Right. Six unidentified people. It's just, it's just crazy to me. And I do have to thank the CBS special that was titled The Case of John Benet Ramsey that aired in 2016 because they ran with this theory. Like 100,000% were like, yep, he did it. Mm-hmm. He they, done did it. <laughs> they used a group of quote-unquote experts to evaluate all the evidence. And this is likely where this theory originated from. Uh, the airing of the show actually led to the filing of a defamation lawsuit for $750 million by Burke Ramsey mm-hmm. against CBS and several other participants. It was eventually settled out of court, but the terms were never released. So we can only imagine how that went down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there are arguments out there against this idea, citing that Burke was much too young and way too immature to have committed the crime. People also argue that Burke didn't have a motive to murder his sister and therefore didn't do it. Like Brie mentioned, if he was, if she, if Jean Benet was taking the sort of hyper focus off of him, mm-hmm. why, why would, why would he kill her? Right. You know? Right. And that to me, I, I was always of the mindset that this was an accident and that the parents, or at least just one- like gone awry kind to- of thing. I think that it's pretty hard to deny that Patsy wrote the note and that these kinds of things happened. But to me, I feel like, I don't know. She doesn't strike me as the person. Like, I think that she was aware of what happened. Obviously she was part of the cover up, but I don't think that she was the one that ultimately hurt her daughter. Right. I just don't get that vibe, at least as an adult looking back at things. So I always kind of fell into the camp of like maybe Burke, they got into an argument. I mean, my brother and I were at each other's throats growing up. I mean, it got violent at times. Right. And we were not in a great situation. We grew up in a household with a neglectful parent. Like, you know, we weren't rich, <laughs> but, well, but I, I, so I could see that. You know what I mean? Like, I could see an accident happening. Running with that theory, we take an accident and make it into this, though. I just, just to, to prove preserve your veneer of like your perfect family life like i just i don't know the only reason why i mean i don't like i said i don't fully 
I'm not in this camp really as right. much anymore. Um, especially after what I learned regarding like the possible alleged sexual abuse. I definitely think there's more to that. Yeah. Um, but before you could explain the cover up as parents who just lost their kid and are desperate not to lose their other one. Right. You know what I mean? And, and John having all these shady business associates and stuff like t- it didn't it just like everything else in this case. It's not that much of a stretch while also being a huge that <laughs> stretch. Unfortunately, how I feel about all of the theories thus mm-hmm. far, it might could be yeah. anybody in the house. I mean, truly. Mm-hmm. Well, and now so we're going to get into the intruder theory. So this is one that a lot of um, people on Reddit hate the most you either you either firmly believe it was an intruder or you don't on reddit apparently (laughs) i just in my opinion if it's a group of intruders foreign conspiracy theorists whatever it is they would not be this fucking messy (laughs) and why would i mean i don't know they called themselves a faction it was all the things so Mm. let's just get into the theory let's do it there were unidentified boot marks Left in the basement room where John Benet's body was found. That's one thing. There was two windows in the basement that were left ajar and a third was broken. But we know that the broken window was from John. There were cobwebs found near said broken window. And the biggest argument against this particular part of the theory is that if somebody would have slipped through those windows, that cobweb 100% would have been destroyed. Right. There's just no way... That it would have stayed there. Unless you're a fucking ninja or a ghost. Like there <laughs> right. ain't no freaking way. <laughs> like you're a vampire. You can just turn into mist. Right. And I just... mean I wish. But no. That's not how that works. Another thing that pointed to the intruder theory. That I actually don't think I knew about. Um, There were over 100 burglaries in the neighborhood. Surrounding the Ramsey home. Because it was all again. Yeah. McMansion. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Looking at it. Yeah. Like, I didn't then, know it either till I bullet pointed it and i was like huh and then there's this one too that i also didn't know Ugh. nearly 40 40 40 sex offenders lived within a two mile radius of the ramsey home two miles is not that far no it's way too close for way comfort. too 40 <laughs> and there was i'm sure Whoa. there was other kids in the neighborhood oh, as for well sure. and because of all of this there was hundreds of dna tests performed to try to find a match but there was just Nothing. Nothing out there. Nothing to this day. So Lou Smith believed that an intruder had committed the murder. That has always been his viewpoint. It will be his viewpoint forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> um, on the night of John Bonet's death, two windows had been left slightly ajar to allow for electrical cords for Christmas lights to pass through, as well as that broken window. They also had one unlocked door. So his theory was that someone entered the home through the broken basement, broken basement window blah blah (laughs) i would think the unlocked door given the cobwebs by the broken window but what do i know again critics have questioned it because of the cobweb the steel grate covering the window also had undisturbed cobwebs and undisturbed foliage around the grate so they're thinking that was not the point of entry again though the unlocked door Um, And it should be noted that the other like ajar windows had cobwebs. There was dust and debris on some of the window sills. So they're thinking it probably wasn't the window. Right. Again, the door, though. (laughs) (laughs) Mitt believed that the intruder ultimately subdued JonBenet with a stun gun and took her down to the basement. 
Because she did have what looked like electrical burns yep. on her cheek. And also, I didn't realize this, but the kids slept on the first floor. Huh. And mm-hmm. in a master the parents suite upstairs. slept on, or like they were a floor above, which also yeah. I found, I'm not a parent, so I don't really know this, but I would imagine I'd want to be on the same floor as my nine and six year old. Or but, at least on the first floor to be the first line of defense should there or be bury anything that. Like I would more yeah. likely feel like I'd want them upstairs. What what do I know? Nothing. I don't know. <laughs> Me either, girl. Um, so the floors in the Ramsey's home were heavily carpeted, which made it plausible for an intruder to have carried John Bonet downstairs without waking the family. But also they'd have to know the the layout of the house. They'd have to know where all these things were in the dark, no turning on lights, Christmas presents christmas decorations are everywhere no making any sounds because well to be fair if it's a giant house i i don't suppose i would hear the other wing okay so they did a test with that where they had police officers stand in like the bedrooms and then had somebody go into other parts of the house and like yell and stuff and one officer said that you could hear it pretty well and the other one said it was muffled but either way if there was a disturbance to that level it seems as if you would have heard it So then that means that this intruder had to have been savvy enough to do all of these things, not make a single noise to wake up this family, especially Burke that was laying, Burke was having pineapple. Right. I mean, his fingerprints were found on the bowl, just his. Right. Which is another reason why people thought that he could have had something to do with it. So... The whole carpet thing is apparently what makes it plausible for this intruder. And then the theory is that she was then killed and the ransom note was left behind. And this theory was supported by former FBI agent John E. Douglas, who had been hired by the Ramsey family. Oh, well, of course he would support it because they're paying him. I have another question. (laughs) Why would you if you if she was already dead, why make the ransom note? Why spend over 20 minutes to make a fucking ransom note? To that level. <laughs> I just am so mad. I have no answer. <laughs> um, there is a strong belief, like an undercurrent, that John Bonet attracted attention from pornographers and pedophiles affiliated with the child pageant scene because those motherfuckers are out there. Yeah. Ick. Um, author Stephen Singular suggested in his book Presumed Guilty that this is why the grand jury recommended child abuse slash endangerment charges instead of murder charges for the Ramsey family exposing their daughter to sexual predators unknowingly, but knowingly. Sort of knowingly. <laughs> Come on now. I it was the nineties. It was people knew that they there's people who are into it. It's just like now, like I no hate on anybody who's like family vloggers and shit like that, but I truly don't understand why you post your kids' entire lives and details on the internet. There's fucking sick people out here. Well, that that mom life blogger just got arrested in Utah oh, for yeah. child abuse. Mm-hmm. Her and her business partner. Yeah, see? The whole family has been like, yeah, we've been saying it for years. I was like, oh my. Oh shit. I guarantee if they're pin in that, we're going to have to look into right? that. <laughs> Sure are. Now, of course, with this intruder theory, there was definitely some persons of interest that they looked into. So 
One of those was a man named Bill McReynolds. He was a neighbor to the family. Two nights before John Bonet's murder, Bill was actually at the Ramsey house dressed as Santa. He supposedly gave her a car or card. card that read, You will receive a very special gift after Christmas. And the vagueness of that message has led some to believe that he was the gift. He was also rumored to have paid a little bit slash a lot of bit too much attention to John Bonet. Allegedly, he called her his quote unquote special friend. Okay. He took a vial of glitter given to him by John Bonet into heart surgery with him. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, supposedly, he told his wife, if I die during the surgery, you need to mix the glitter that John Bonet gave me with my ashes. I would be curious to know if he had any grandchildren and if he did if he was estranged from the grandchildren i'm not trying to make excuses for him but i just just as a little asterisk to the story um bill mcreynolds daughter went missing 22 years before um the murder on the same day that the murder happened that's weird right he did however proclaim his innocence until his death in 2002 and nothing ever came of it i don't think other than what if he was cremated? Did they do DNA tests? I have a lot of questions. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. Put a pin in that. We'll come back to that. <laughs> uh, next up is Linda Hoffman Pugh. She was the housekeeper for the family, and her husband, Mervyn, was their handyman. And that means that they both had a set of keys to the home. Apparently, so did everybody else in Colorado. There was so m- they had to give the police like a list of who had keys. So they could vet people and there was a stupid and they also left their house unlocked a lot of the time. Like, where is your situational awareness? This is why this shit happens because you're not paying attention to anything. And that's the thing, too. Like the intruder theory to an extent, I don't believe it. I don't buy it personally, but I could see again. It might could be why. If you're leaving doors unlocked in your mansion. Right. So, so Linda at one point has definitely voiced her suspicions of Patsy Ramsey being the killer very early on. Patsy claimed that Linda was struggling for money and that she had asked the Ramseys for a loan of several thousand dollars, which Linda or which they declined. The Ramseys that, were like, mm, yeah. no. And I don't know how true that is. I don't think that Linda has said one way or the other. Uh, So police went to the Pew's home the night after the murder. They took fingerprints from her as well as several strands of her hair. They also had her write the number 180,000 on a piece of paper. And then she went on to testify in front of the grand jury for a total of eight hours. And this included a statement against Patsy that read in part, quote, I think she had multiple personalities. She'd be in a good mood and then she'd be cranky. She got into arguments with John Bonet about wearing a dress or about a friend coming over. I'd never seen Patsy so upset. So I'm just saying, somebody that knows where the Sharpie and the notepad go right, would be the housekeeper that puts them there. And also, interestingly, not so fun fact, um, the part, the place, the stairs that Patsy found the note was a common place for Patsy to communicate via notes with her staff Ooh. like that specific spot like was exactly where she would leave notes for the housekeeper and vice versa Ruh-roh. weird right so this theory asserts that the housekeeper had a trusting friendship 
or relationship with John Bonet, so she led her down into the basement that night in an attempt to trick her employers into leaving money for her ransom. It's possible, perhaps, maybe, might could be, that she had seen John Ramsey's pay stub for $180,000 as a holiday bonus and just chose that as her demand because that was the number she saw. Again, if you're doing people's laundry, emptying their pockets, yeah. cleaning up after them, might could be. Well, and I obviously can't speak from my experience and this is just like a stereotype essentially but i i have heard from some people who have like known people that have had staff in their house that eventually they're just kind of part of the house like part of the woodwork or something Mm -hmm. they're just sort of there so you don't really think twice about having to hide anything because you're in your home you're in your own comfortable environment you know that that kind of thought, thought process right So the fact that Linda was familiar with both the home itself, like the layout, the carpeting, et cetera, et cetera, as well as the family schedule, makes her a pretty convenient suspect. Mm -hmm. She was also without an alibi because she was asleep in bed while her husband allegedly slept on the couch. Hmm. Again, all evidence implicating Linda or her husband in this case is circumstantial at best. Linda herself has never been formally charged or accused of the crime, so that should be noted. But again, I could see it mm-hmm. as, with, as with everything here. I could see it. Mm-hmm. The other person that they looked at was a man named Michael Helgoth. He worked as an electrician at a nearby auto salvage yard. Apparently... This guy was a hellraiser who was tied to an alleged property dispute involving the Ramses. I could not find any more information on that. And I looked and I looked and I looked. There's there's some facts about this case that you could find anywhere and everywhere. And there's right. other things when you start diving in. And this is what makes it like so suspicious that as soon as you start taking like little specific details and trying to dig. Pinpoint and dig. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This person was not even on my radar until yeah. I did my research. So. Same. And he was first tied to the crime by a private investigator that was working for the Ramsey family, actually. Officials found a boot print that was supposedly similar to his own boot print near the Ramsey home after the murder. He unfortunately committed suicide and therefore could not be questioned or interviewed or any of the things. His death occurred two days after a 1997 press conference that announced the Boulder DA was zeroing in on a new suspect. He was cleared by DNA and obviously his death. I just have a lot of questions. I just, because they were in a property dispute. I mean, I don't know. This one feels like a really big reach to me. It just doesn't, I don't know. Unless he's part of a bigger web. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's (laughs) fucking fair. (laughs) Uh, So that brings us to Alexis Val Reich, AKA. John Mark Carr, you might remember we mentioned him earlier. Uh, This person was arrested in Bangkok, Thailand on August 15th, 2006, after, quote unquote, confessing to John Bonet's murder. He was at the time a 41 year old school teacher, and he claimed to have drugged, sexually assaulted and accidentally killed John Bonet Ramsey. He claimed at a different time that he was in the Ramsey home the night of John Bonet's murder. He said he saw her die, but is not the one that murdered her. In- intriguing statement. <laughs> and this is a direct quote. Nobody wanted that little girl to die that night. Nobody. Her death was an accident. I was with her when she died, but I was not the person who caused it. 
Sir, that is suspicious, to say the least. Also, you're just backtracking and going back and forth. And you're like, not giving y'all any ain't kind making of no sense. specific information. He claimed to know the identity of the killer, said that the stage that they staged the crime scene in order to throw the police off track. None of this makes sense, and none of his DNA or bodily fluid sample match what was found at the scene. And it contradict which directly contradicts his own story. Right. So officials mm-hmm. just weren't really buying what he was selling. And they also were like failed to verify that he was ever in Boulder in the first place. So there's that. Yeah. So how he f- first came on the radar, he was initially in contact with Michael Tracy, who was a University of Colorado Boulder professor who was making a documentary on the murder of John Benet Ramsey. Carr emailed him. These emails back and forth sort of took a disturbing turn. It began to become apparent that he was sexually obsessed with John Bonet. And at that point, Michael Tracy reported him to the police as like, hey, like, <laughs> dear God, Maybe somebody you check this person look out. Look into this. Yes. He has been since written off as a pedophile who was just after notoriety and fame. According to CNN, authorities also said they did not find any evidence linking this person to the crime scene. All in all, the confession provided only basic facts, all of which were known publicly at this time, and he couldn't really provide any additional details. No drugs were found in JonBenet's body, which further discredited this confession, and ultimately, no DNA was found at the scene. That matched, so... Sorry, not sorry. And yet, here we are talking about this person. So, who is laughing now? (laughs) Who got the last laugh in this situation? (laughs) Uh, So, this brings us to Gary Howard Olivia. Smith identified this person as a potential suspect early on. In June 2016, Gary was arrested for, quote, two counts of attempted sexual exploitation of a child and one count of sexual exploitation of a child. So (laughs) he's a registered sex offender. He was ID'd as a potential suspect in an October 2002 episode of 48 Hours Investigates. So we've known about it for 14 years. It's cool at that point when he was arrested. (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. Uh, He is currently serving time in prison for possession of child pornography. When he was arrested, he was found to own more than 300 images of JonBenet specifically, including pictures of her autopsy, as well as images depicting cannibalism in general and the mutilation of corpses. So this man is a something something. Is a sick psychopath. Son of a bitch. Mm -hmm. Former classmate. Michael Vale called police identifying him as a suspect when he actually received a phone call from Olivia during which he said, quote, I heard a little girl. Vale later revealed that over years long exchanges with Olivia, he spoke of cannibalistic urges and necrophilia fantasies. One interaction included uh, Olivia allegedly sending Vale pencil drawings of John Bonet specifically eating chunks of his corpse and countless other depraved artworks. Gross. If I got that in the mail, I would turn it over to police and then, I don't know. Move. Yep. Far away. (laughs) Take on an assumed alias. (laughs) Beg witness protection to take me. Yes. Bale also claims that Olivia told him he once ate the skin of one of his abuse victims. It's just getting worse and worse. 
Recounting his conversation with Olivia, Vale told the U.S. Sun, from around 2016, I started getting letters from Gary where he talked about not just being a pedophile, but also wanting to eat kids. It was so disturbing, but he talked about cannibalism and he talked about the girl in Oregon and how he took her out and got her sunburnt just so he could taste her burnt skin. He told me he got her sunburned just so he could peel off her skin and taste it. It makes me sick. That makes two of us, sir. Oh, I read it and then I, just hearing it, I'm like, mm, I didn't like it. I didn't Ooh. like saying it. So this man also has a fixation with knots and nooses. He even puts them into his art. This dates back to his high school days. He often visited a church near the Ramsey home and was known to break into homes from time to time. So Mm -hmm. we're checking some boxes here. However, he was DNA tested sometime after his arrest, but sources say he was not found to be a match for the DNA evidence recovered from the JonBenet Ramsey crime scene. So unfortunately, this man is depraved. I'm glad he's under lock and key. Yeah. But I don't think who he's he's not who we're looking for. Right. Now, interestingly enough, there has been some recent ish movement ish <laughs> in the case. So in November of 2022, the Boulder Police Department and DA issued a release about the ongoing homicide investigation. They announced that they would be consulting with the Colorado Cold Case Review Team in 2023. Said, quote, since JonBenet's murder, detectives have investigated leads stemming from more than 21,000 tips, letters, and emails. Dear Lord, that's a lot. We have traveled to 19 states to interview or speak with more than 1,000 individuals, end quote. Shit. That's so many people. So it's very clear they're putting in the work. (laughs) If only they would have done that at the crime scene. From the start. So this press release added that Boulder agencies were also working with the FBI, the CBI, so the Colorado um, Bureau of Investigation, Colorado's Department of Public Safety, and quote, several private laboratories across the country end quote that leads me to believe it's one of the dna people the genealogical dna people um the quote the amount of dna evidence available for analysis is extremely small and complex the sample could in whole or in part be consumed by dna testing the release continued in collaboration with the cbi and the fbi There have been several discussions with private DNA labs about the viability of continuing testing of DNA recovered from the crime scene and genetic genealogy analysis. Whenever there is a proven technology that can reliably test forensic samples consistent with the samples available in this case, additional analysis will be conducted. So that leads me to believe we are not quite there yet. Right. And it also leads me to believe that they're definitely working with like some 23andMe. Yes, type for sure. Third party, if you will. And again, I mean, I don't know where I stand on that fence. I'm always very grateful when it does good, but it makes me feel icky. Read up on Henrietta Lacks if you yeah, have any we're questions. Gonna... <laughs> I know we've discussed it's on it the before, list. <laughs> but I'm just saying, just yeah. Google her. Yeah. Um, it's an incredibly interesting story that mm-hmm. we're definitely going to have to just because i've done 23 and me but yeah. also i have not committed murder <laughs> or crimes so i don't have any fear in that but yeah. there are people out there not that have done it but like their grandchildren have done it yeah <laughs> y'all you're yeah. about to get fucking trapped good 
I mean, yeah. Also, I was going to say, also Snap, good. snap, snap. <laughs> flips hair. <laughs> On May 2nd, 2022, an online petition with thousands of signatures asked for Governor Jared Polis to step in and move the JonBenet Ramsey case from the Boulder Police Department to a new agency. So they basically were like, we're done with this. Can we done. try something else? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was filed on change.org. It was filed by a group called Justice for JonBenet Ramsey. They called on Paulus to have the case moved from the Boulder Police Department, which have been investigating it for 25 plus years to another investigative agency just to look into new DNA technology, maybe just any sort of new angle or fresh pair of eyes. I could see that. Yeah, for sure. Um, The petition cited examples like the arrest of the Golden State Killer Mm -hmm. and other recently solved cold cases using genetic genealogy as examples of why this should be where we're going. Yeah. And I again, I don't don't necessarily disagree, but I also don't like it. I know. January 4th of this very year, 2023, it was reported that John Ramsey sent a letter to Colorado Governor Jared Polis requesting an in-person meeting and help in solving his daughter's murder. He Mm. said, quote, I am 78 now and realize that time for answers is running out. The murder of my daughter can never be undone. There will never be peace or closure, but there can and should be justice. End quote. I finally agree with you on something, John. Right. John Ramsey says that Governor Polis responded to his letter, calling it the first communication he's ever had from the state. That can't be true. I, I refuse to believe it. It it's just not communication. This is communication he likes. Right. This is what he heard, probably what he wanted to hear. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, and this is a direct quote. It gave us some, certainly some indication that he would like to help move the case along. There were no commitments, but I was encouraged. 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 <laughs> encouraged. January 18th, uh, 2023, John Ramsey speaks to Court TV anchor Vinnie Politan. Politan? Politan. That's a a really weird way. I don't like it about his daughter's case and why he thinks it still remains unsolved. And basically, he believes the case is unsolved. Get ready for this, guys, because of the refusal of help by the Boulder Police Department in the beginning of the investigation. Say what? Tell me you're senile without telling me you're senile. I think it's you and your friends all muckety mucking it up is what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't even have have words for how I felt when I first read that. I'm like, still, he's still, I think at this point he has convinced himself that that's true. No, and I think generally he's just, it's been so long, he's talked himself into it. Yeah, I believe what I want to believe, so. Exactly. Y'all can't change my mind now. <laughs> can't tell me nothing. I'm 78 now, test it out. <laughs> so... Just to lighten things up here at the end, because we have no true answers. Yeah. Nobody that's knows. That's all we got, guys. Yep. <laughs> that, that's, that's literally the end of the investigation until DNA catches up to what we have in this case. Yeah. There ain't shit we'll be doing. <laughs> we got nothing. <laughs> we'll just be watching. So there's two theories that are a bit out of left field. Um, just there's no way these can be true. <laughs> They're fucking ridiculous. <laughs> they really if you are. ask us. But... <laughs> They were included on a BuzzFeed list, yes. so I felt the need to include them here. So here's number one. An owl or another wild animal committed the murder. 
Why? Why? Why, Bree, you may be asking? So animal hairs were found on JonBenet's body, as well as on the duct tape covering her mouth. So this led to wild speculation that an (laughs) owl, a wolf, or a beaver got in through the broken window, did not disturb the cobwebs, may or may not have tasered her in the face, duct tape her mouth shut. All right. So you know where we're going with this. It seems pretty unlikely. Also... Patsy had a lot of fur. That's like, gross. Fur coats. Okay. Well, that means you're boots, a horrible person. You're like a sadist like or something. Like, fur boots. Somebody. Somebody. I mean, again, it was Reddit. I, I know that you. She, there's been pictures of her. Like you can see that she has that those kinds of items. But somebody mentioned specifically that one of her boots had like beaver lining. Was this bitch wearing beaver boots when she killed her kid? Or, like, in the house somewhere, and it, like, you know what I mean? So, again, like we said, <laughs> the items that were used to kill JonBenet had to have come to fruition, if you will, right. by human hand. Right. There ain't no way a beaver is tying a garrote with a paintbrush around somebody's neck. I'm, I don't mean to laugh. But no, like, but in my head, I'm like, oh, a beaver. Oh, I picture, no. like... Or a wolf? Did you ever like, watch the show The Angry Beavers on Nickelodeon? Yes. I picture that as you're saying these words to me. <laughs> so a beaver, a wolf, or perhaps an owl. Okay. Owls sure. don't have hands or paws. <laughs> no. What? They are vicious killing machines. I know. But not... They have very long, alarming legs, but they don't have opposable thumbs. It just doesn't match yeah, up with nope. what she was, like how nope. she was killed at all. But you guys, we saved the bear, the very this best one, one. I was like, <laughs> that can't be right. Did you guys know that Katy Perry is actually Jean Benet, according I mean, to a YouTube video? Truly, I hope this is it. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Honestly, this would be best case scenario. And like the fever dream version. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hope I hope this is the answer. Yeah. But this YouTube creator claimed that the Ramseys staged the murder and that their child is in fact alive and well and living life as Katy Perry. And the video cited lyrics from Perry's song as well as I mean, if you look at a picture between them side by side, like I think it's a stretch, but I could see it. Maybe without all that hair bleaching at the age of six, her hair would be that color. <laughs> According to the housekeeper, it went from a, like a light brown to bleach blonde overnight. Mm-mm. Do you have any idea what you have to do to hair to lift brown? I've, I have heard tell about it. <laughs> my poor hair has gone through so much. <laughs> I've never dyed my hair. I would rather chew an arm off. Yeah, I'm good. That's a lot of commitment. No. I'm actually oh. trying to grow my natural color out, I think, for the first time in 20 years. Well, and we're, <laughs> we're adults. Yeah. We have an active say in what we're doing with right. our hair. We're not six and our mom's bleaching, bleaching it and it putting and, in rollers. Yep, and making me sleep in it. Bro, bye. I can't even. <laughs> so, yeah, that is the story of Jean Monnet in, in a two relatively long-ish nutshells. <laughs> it's a really sad case, but I do think it's really interesting because there's so much room for discussion. Well, hence the owl and the Katy Perry, (laughs) because all these armchair detectives like us have just run rampant. People are really out of pocket with some of the shit that they say, but I, I find it so fascinating and I'd love to know where you guys land. Who do you think did it? Was it inside the house? 
I just feel like the easiest answer might be the right answer here. It was somebody in that house. I'm not saying I pick one above the other, but I think it was a group effort. I have no real basis for why I think this. I'm going to just preface my statement (laughs) with this. But as I was going through my own rabbit holes and I was learning about the alleged sexual abuse and all this stuff and something just got in my brain that what if John wasn't the one abusing her, but what if he was facilitating her abuse? And what if his friends like, I don't know, Fleet White, who she spent a lot of time with and was comfortable with and would Mm -hmm. have gone with, was actually the one who like he was with John when they found her in the basement. I don't know. There's something about that man that doesn't sit right with me. And he's not talked about literally anywhere. I have no reason to think this, but I'm really I'm beginning to really wonder if John he had all these really weird business associates. They served Jean Benet up on a platter to people. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, right. but I could absolutely see that. I don't know. It's just been something that's been in the back of my head. I've like n- I said, the, the, not the easiest answer, but like... <laughs> it's like when you hear hooves, think horses, not yeah. zebras. Yeah. This is definitely one of those situations where It might there's... be could horses and zebras are just combining to be <laughs> one horrific stampede here. And honestly, you know what I mean? I ultimately think that might be the answer. Like you said, I think it might have been a group effort. We just don't know the makeup of it. And I think that's part of the reason why we'll never know. I just have so many questions. It's just so suspicious the way everything sort of went down. Yeah. Like the stonewalling of authorities mm-hmm. going to... CNN or CBS or whoever, like Barbara Walters, instead of actually just talking to the police, if you really want to find the answers. Well, and it also, you know, maybe be transparent. Money makes a lot of things happen. And I don't know. I think it's money is still making things happen. I think that it's completely possible that there's a reason why a thorough search was not conducted first. I think it's completely possible that there's a reason why the Ramses were allowed to have free reign of the house while so all this was happening. Do you think they sent the female detective because she would sort of kid glove the family and be like, oh, I'll give why? you the VIP treatment? Tell me why a child was missing at this point still and every single law enforcement officer but her left the scene. Every single one? You left one detective there? Usually for a missing child, the first 48 hours, I know there's from a whole watching, TV show called that. <laughs> I, it's critical. If it's not solved or you don't get a lead in the first 48, you're yeah. probably not going to solve it. Yeah. And this is a sad case of shit just went sideways from the gate. And just now look where we are. John Benet doesn't have any answers. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And People if her are parents... going nuts with Katy Perry and owls, I just, Katy Perry, though. I was like, wait, what? And then I Googled it and I was like, oh, okay. Okay. I mean, I could see it. You know, I hope we're going to have to find that video and, and see Link what they it. said. Because yeah. I'm really curious to see it for myself. I didn't watch it because by the end I was like, yeah. I cannot do it anymore. Kids are tough. Susan and I generally a lot. don't like I, to we're cover. We're making jokes and we're laughing yeah. because these theories are ridiculous. Yes. But like at the end of the day, a child was murdered and yeah. and her and, case remains unsolved and we don't know yeah and i don't nothing about that is funny i don't like no, any part of that nor is it okay 
and in I any hope, way. I hope someday we get some answers. I hope DNA advances to the point where robots can go find the person that did it. Something. Or AI can figure it out. I don't know. You never know. I mean, the world is a crazy place and a lot of bad happens. But sometimes, once in a while, we sometimes get that little silver lining. Shining good. Yeah. And on that note, we're going to leave you. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm sad and now... I need pizza. Yeah, it's to true. Make me feel better. <laughs> you know, as always, we appreciate you taking time to hang out with us. You just have no idea how much your continued support means to us. Make sure that you guys are following us on the social media platforms of our choosing, which is Facebook and Instagram at Crime and Spirits Pod. And then on TikTok, we're at Crime and Spirits Podcast. Yeah, because we can't do X. No, we're done. I'm done with it. I'm over it. <laughs> so anywhere on our socials, it's where you'll find ingredients, recipes, fun videos showing you how to make each drink, keys into what we're going to be talking about for the week. If you'd like to follow us personally on Instagram, you can find us. I am at Suze, not Susan. And I am at Brie underscore not the cheese. If you are into what we're doing over here, pretty please with sugar on top. Go leave us a rating and or review on whatever streaming platform you listen on, preferably Apple Podcasts, if you can make it happen, because that's like the big one. Apparently. <laughs> We're slowly finding out. Yep. <laughs> Not in Spotify. It really helps and it really makes our day. Yes. And also, you know, keep in mind, if you guys would like to recommend a case or a cocktail, any kind of anything, really, you can email us at crimeandspiritspodcast at gmail.com. If you don't feel comfortable leaving a comment on the socials, I get it. We have that option for you. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, if you're interested in becoming a monthly supporter of our podcast, there is a link for that in the show notes. Feel free to smash that link, but no pressure. No pressure at all. And now we're going to tell a corny joke. I had a really hard time finding one today. I almost just left it with the Katy Perry theory, but that didn't feel right because mm. that leaves heebie-jeebies. Yeah. The point of this is to get rid of those. So our question slash joke of the day is when is a door not a door when when it's a jar <laughs> but i'll just keep making the noise at I some like point it. we'll figure it out but you know but i'm pretty sure one of our homies over at podmoth has made like sample sounds we'll have to play around with that yeah but in the meantime Please make sure if you guys are slipping along with us that you're being smart. You're staying home. You're not getting behind the wheel of a car. Last thing I want to do is be responsible for any of you idiots out there. Doing it's dumb true. stuff. Just it's not listen worth it. and stay at home. Yeah. Have a snack. Order pizza. Get yeah. some DoorDash. Drink one or several glasses of water because mm -hmm. you probably didn't do that today. And just, you know, vibe out. Have yeah. a great rest of your day. We appreciate you and we love you. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.